Well, dear church family and friends, uh, this Lord's Day, uh, once again, I'd like to speak to us about the great things which the Lord God has done for us, his people, and which we see here he had done for Israel, the great sovereign grace and mercy which he bestowed upon Israel, and of which we know of here today who know the Lord savingly, and of course all those who too will come to know the Lord God as well, all his people. And this really is what we see in Joshua 10, 24. We see the great things that God has done for his people, the great grace and mercy, the sovereign grace and mercy which he bestowed upon Israel. And so we see, to begin with, Joshua calls for a solemn assembly to be gathered of all the tribes of Israel, the the heads of their families, their tribes, the elders, the judges, the officers, and so on at Sheshem. And And you can remember at Sheshem was the place in Genesis 12 where the Lord first appeared to Abraham after he took Abraham Remember, and he appeared to Abraham and he uh, promised him concerning his seed and the land that he would give to his seed. So Shashem has significance. Of course, we see other uh, promises that were made in Shashem, but I'm not going to go into detail about that now. But Joshua here has a message for God's people. He says in verse 2, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. This is a message that God is speaking to Israel. God wants to speak to his people. And he wants to speak to us this Lord's day. And this is the Lord God of Israel that's speaking. This is the true living God who keeps his covenant with his people forever. The, the, the covenant-keeping God who cannot lie, who always keeps his promises. And what is it? What is it that he wants, that he wants us to know? What is it that he wanted Israel to know? Well, quite simply, I would put it that he wants them to know that salvation is of the Lord. That salvation is of the Lord. The Lord, our righteousness. It is not of one's own making. It is not of one's own doing. It is not of one's own choosing. Salvation is of the Lord. We see quite clearly here the great things, the great sovereign grace and mercy which the Lord has bestowed upon Israel and of which we who know the Lord, we can testify to that very fact. It's not that we have loved the Lord, but it is that the Lord has loved us, has woken us up, has delivered us, has sent for us, has called us. So this picture, this passage here really does speak of the great and mighty things that the almighty God of Israel has done for us. And so in today's passage, we really have a summary of the great miracles and wonders of God's grace which he did for Israel and of course which he does for us which we know 
from Romans 4, which we read earlier, which of course speaks of Abraham's conversion and of his justification, how he was saved. And it really serves to us as how to any man, woman, or child can get right with God. Uh, Because the promise is the same. How can any man, woman, or child get right with God and know of the power of God in salvation? Well, firstly, we're told, aren't we, in verse 2, that Abraham did not come from some illustrious, devout, believing family. He did not come from a believing, devout, God-fearing family. The opposite really is true, isn't it? Abraham and his father and their ancestors were pagans. Uh, We're told in verse 2 that they served other gods. They, Abraham and his family and their ancestors, just like many worldlings today, like I did for over 20 years, just gave my energies to the things of this world. I just loved the creature more than the creator. My heart and my mind was consumed with the things below and not the, the things above. And this was Abraham for more than 50 years. Abraham gave his heart, his energies, his life to the things of this world. He wasn't born in some devout Bible-believing families. The opposite is true. He came from the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, uh, which was much celebrated for its learning and for its idolatry, as it were. And he just gave himself and his family did, as it were, to the things of this world, living for the here and the now. And then God took him. The scripture says, God took him. God woke him up. Literally, it speaks here of God's sovereign grace here. And so we see, friends, and some some commentators make the point that the land of Ur Uh, of the Chaldeans, like I mentioned, was much celebrated for its much learning, its much uh, 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 sophisticated learning and and idolatry, as it were, a bit like the Greek mind. And it's very, if if I can say this, it's very similar, is it not, to the UK today, with our much higher learning, as it were, with our much flying high with technology, with uh, all these institutions. But where has all that got us? Where has all that, all, that, all that learning, all that technology, all those things got us? We've left off the God of the Bible, have we not? We, we really have become a, an idolatrous pagan people. And the words of 1 Corinthians 1, 20, my, 21 really come to mind. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. That was Abraham. That was Abraham before he was taken. And now, friends, how then was Abraham saved? How was he truly converted? Well, like I said, according to both the New and the Old Testament, Romans 4 and today's text in verse 3 There was nothing in Abraham, nothing in him at all that he could bring to the table, as it were, to salvation. 
and bring and say, well, this is why I should be saved. Because of uh, my obedience or because of this, because of that. I've heard some uh, preachers, I've heard some, even Reformed faith, say that God looks upon a certain obedience or certain character in people. That's nonsense. All that, all that God sees us in is sin and depravity. Our own righteousness is as filthy rags, says the scriptures. And so Abraham could bring nothing to the table to bring to God and say, this is why I should be saved. Like I said, he came from a, an unbelieving family. He'd like, like me, for many years, he just gave his heart and his energies, his mind, his affection, his desires. He just gave it to the things of this world for over 50 years. And then we're told that I took him, God, by his sovereign grace and for the purposes of the, the redemptive history, took Abraham, verse 3, And if God did not take Abraham, he would have remained in that sinful condition. Think about that. If God did not take Abraham, he would have remained a pagan. What happened to Abraham was a miracle. A miracle of God's sovereign grace to sinners. And this, friends, was the same way in which the psalmist, David, was also saved as well. He was saved the same way. It is said of of David in 2 Samuel 7 that David was taken from the sheepcoat. Remember that? From following the sheep. Remember, before David was saved, he was just, as it were, following the sheep on that broad way that leads to destruction, like I was for many years. Yes, he had Jesse as his father, and yes, he was brought up. Uh, to believe in the God of Israel. But until God took him, until God woke him up to the things of God, to the promises of God, that it was only then, really, that he turned to the Lord God. David and, and Abraham both needed to be woken up to the reality that God is in control, that God is sovereign over the affairs of men, that only God can save. They both needed to to be taken. They both needed to be woken up to this fact and this reality. And so the question I have for us here today is, has God taken you, friend? Has there been a time or period in your life that God, by the quickening power of the Holy Spirit, has so worked a, a work of grace in your heart has brought people into your life, as, as it were, or circumstantially has brought you to a position where someone has spoken to you the gospel, or has challenged you, or your circumstances have challenged you. Whatever it may be, God uses various means. But God has so ta- taken you and he's woken you up to the reality of the gospel and your standing and your positioning before a holy God. Has that happened? And that you've put all your faith in the promise of God, that through Christ alone that you can be saved. There must be that time that's happened. You must be taken, as it were, and be separated unto God. Has that happened? Has there been a time where you've been separated from following the sheep, as it were, just following the culture, just on that broadway, as it were, 
just following the, the schemes and dreams of this world at the expense of the next world. There must be, friends, that new birth, that time. Just living for the here and now, like Abraham did in Ur, like I did for over 20 years, just giving your heart and your energy and your life and your substance to the things of this world, where there's such a great saviour to be had, where God's promises will be sure. Has there been that time where you've been taken and that you've, you, you truly belong to God? Has God taken you and put you on the narrow way that leads to everlasting life? And I'll tell you something, friends. When God takes you, when God takes you and you truly believe in the promise, like Abraham believed in the promise, that through that promise that a saviour would come and that would be Abraham's saviour. And he believed in that, that through his through his seed, through his loins, and through the subsequent generations to come, a saviour would come, a, the Christ would come, and that saviour would be his saviour and die for his sins. And would, he would have uh, Christ's righteousness attributed to him, credited to his account, as it were. And Abraham believed in that promise, and that righteousness was credited to his account, attributed to Abraham's account. That's why it says when he believed, it was imputed. It was attributed, credited to Abraham's account And when he believed in that. And all the nations of the world would be blessed through faithful Abraham. And all those through every nation who would come to believe in the promise of God, in the Saviour, that his righteousness is imputed upon them. So God doesn't see our failures anymore. God doesn't see our shortcomings anymore. God doesn't see the many years we spent in vanity and pride anymore. God sees the imputed righteousness of his son put upon us. It doesn't mean, and, and again, I just want to be, be clear about this because there's quite a lot of confusion, sadly, even in some Bible-believing churches. God doesn't impute to us perfect morality, perfect moral righteousness. We still have to fight. We still, we still have besetting sins, inbred sins, but we have the new nature. We've got Christ dwelling in us. God imputes to us his righteousness so that when God the Father looks upon us, he does not see our, our, he does not see our filthiness anymore, our wickedness anymore, our unbelief anymore. He sees the righteousness of his son put upon us. That perfect righteousness, always doing good, so that your sins are remembered no more. You're covered. You're covered by Christ's blood. You're covered by his righteousness. This is the best news in the world, isn't it? This is the news that thrills our hearts and souls. We're not looking for moral perfection here. We know what we are. We know that God has taken us. We know the pit from which we've been dug. But we are thrilled. We are so overwhelmed because God looks upon us now because he has taken us and that we have God's righteousness put upon us now. 
And so God sees us now no longer as enemies, no longer with wrath upon us, no longer as those uh, who have defiled, but he sees the righteousness of his son upon us. This is so wonderful, isn't it? This is the best news, friends, that the world has ever given. And like I said once again, if God has taken you, if God has taken you, you will know it. You will know of the power of this in your heart, the transforming power. Uh, uh, that was the, the, the best day of my life when the Lord saved me. I love my wife. That's the second best day when I married my wife. <laughs> but the best day of my life was when I was born again. Everything just it was a fresh, new, I, everything just made sense. And it is true of all those gathered here today, the great things that God has done for us. And when God takes some, when he gives them a promise of salvation, he gives them a sure promise and those, he even gives us repentance, the gift of repentance, the gift of faith. These are all gifts. When he takes someone, he gives them the spirit. He gives them repentance and faith. These things work at the same time, God made a promise to Abraham. And that promise, as our brother eloquently has been uh, teaching uh, of God's redemptive plan and history, is still in force today. That everlasting covenant of grace. There is no salvation by being a nice person, by being an outstanding, an outstanding citizen. By being a social warrior, as it were. There's no salvation in that. Sad to say, so many people you speak to, sadly, even some Christians who, who have kind of been pushed this, really. There's no salvation in that. Yes, we, are, we Christians are called to be the most loving of people, to be the most influential of people, to be salt and light. But that cannot save you. Being a nice person, being an outstanding citizen, being a social warrior cannot convert you. There is no salvation in being kind and charitable. By having, like many people believe today, sadly, even within Christian circles, by having your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Like there's a scale, as it were. And many religions, even religions like Islam, Believe that you have an, an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder. And that by your good deeds, by your martyrdom, by your sacrifices, as it were, well, those can outweigh those wicked things that you've done, those bad deeds. There's no salvation in that. Because we know the consequences of sin is death. We know that our own righteousness is as filthy rags in his sight. We know that we've all become like an unclean thing in the sight of God. Even when we do that which is good, often it is because of pride or some secret uh, praise that we want. There is no salvation in baptism. There is no salvation in church attendance. There is no salvation in religious duties. There is no salvation in these things. Baptism is an outward work, an outward confirmation of an inner work. That's what I always say to people. You can be baptized, you can be a partaker of the communion, you can, you can be the most spent person for the Lord, 
but still not know of that grace, still not knowing of being taken and separated and living exclusively for the Saviour. It's an outward profession of an inner work, baptism. There must be an inner work. And the same with all our religious duties, really. And I don't want to put us off from that, because those who are converted, they really do want to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. They want to be baptized. They want to serve the Lord wholeheartedly in their homes, in Christ's churches. There is no salvation through the law. There is absolutely no salvation through the law. Salvation is given independently of the law by faith. Romans 3.21 makes that incredibly clear. But now the righteousness of God without the law, without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Do you see that? The, the righteousness of God without the law, independent from the law. The, 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 the prophets and the law point to grace, to the grace that we need, because we all fall woefully short. They all testify to the fact that we need God's sovereign grace. Indeed, this pattern of salvation by the miracle of God's free grace in Christ alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone. This pattern is seen right throughout today's account, isn't it? We see it over and over again, just repeated over and over. It's almost as if God is saying, don't put your your faith and your trust in the beggarly arm of flesh. In man's words, in your own strength, it's going to fail you. It's almost like he's saying, I brought you, I sent, I delivered you, I called you, I did all these things. It's saying, don't put your faith in, your, in men, in your own beggarly flesh, the weak flesh. It's going to fail you in the promises of men, in, in pastors and elders and priests, in whatever man. Only the Lord God. Only his sovereign grace can you trust. Only his words are forever settled in heaven. So this pattern is seen right throughout today's account. Look how many times in this short account God speaks of the wonderful grace, the wonderful divine mercies, the miracles and wonders of God's grace he shows to Israel, which we know is true of us here today as well. Verse 3, I took, I took your father, Abraham. I took your father. I took your father and I led him through all the land. The Lord multiplied him. The Lord took him. The Lord led him. The Lord multiplied him, as it were. And I gave Isaac. Yes, at a hundred years old, Abraham and his wife, nigh a hundred years old, 99 or so years old. And God, and God gave him Isaac, the promised seed, beyond all odds, as it were, against all the odds. God did that. I sent Moses also and Aaron, verse 5. And as we know from our brothers 
Bible studies, Moses, of course, was a picture, a type of redeemer, a mediator, as it were. That, uh, that Israel couldn't draw nigh to God, they had to send, M- Moses went. And, and God did that. God sent Moses, as it were. I plagued Egypt and afterwards brought you out, as it were. And we know Egypt is a picture of this world, that we're in bondage by Pharaoh, who's a picture of the devil, of Satan. We're in bondage by the strong man, as it were. And we're in bondage to our sin, Egypt, as it were, this world. And we need to be taken out of it. But he says, I did that. I'm the one that's taken you. I'm the one that's delivered you. I'm the one that's provided Moses. I'm, and the greater Moses, Christ. I brought you into the land of the Amorites, verse 8. I gave them into your hand and gave them the land. And I destroyed them before you. It just speaks over and over again of God's sovereign grace and his mercy. Verses 9 and 10, we see how the Lord turned Balaam's curse into a blessing. Remember that? Balaam's curse into, he wanted to curse God's people. And I delivered you out of his hands. The Lord has dominion over the powers of darkness, friends. We don't have to fear the powers of darkness. You see, so many Christians, they, they just dwell so much upon the, the corruptions, the, the powers of darkness. Why? We're in Christ. We don't have to worry about these things. Stay close to the Lord. Stay close to him. Keep sweet communion with him. Desire his closeness, and he will take care of the rest. He promises so. And God can turn that curse into a blessing. We, we, we're all under that curse by nature, aren't we? We're, we're, we're all in our lives. There are disappointments in our life. the sickness that happens in our life. There are failures that happens in our life. We all have these disappointments because of the fall. With all of our life, there are thorns and th- thickles, as it were. It's, we're, we're blighted, as it were. We're, we're never, ever going to get what we truly want in life, friends. We must realize that. But God can turn that curse, you see, that, that death, that spiritual death, into a blessing. He can give us true spiritual life when he takes us, when we cry to him for that sovereign grace and that mercy, which is so available at the cross, friends, that promise of grace. When he wakes us up, and he can do that upon the doors, he can do that at the open air, he can do that in our private witnesses, God uses means. That's why we do these things. And sometimes we won't see the effects, dear friends. That years later, someone will remember that tract, that word, and then suddenly they will cry to the Lord because it's a constant witness. And he can turn our darkness into light. He can turn our cursing, the curse, into a blessing, a wonderful blessing in Christ. Verses 11 and 12 speaks of the many enemies that were risen up to destroy Israel. Are we not seeing that at the moment? You see that, 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 that what's happening in Israel now. You see all the forces of hell gathered around Israel, as it, as it were. So, just, so it's the only functional democracy in the Middle East. 
And yet all the Western media are opposed to them. Why is that? <laughs> I mean, they don't go out there and live out there. <laughs> it's a so rank hypocrisy. And yet you see all these enemies, as it were, being raised up against Israel. And what did the Lord do? Well, the Lord overcame all those enemies. That's nothing before the Lord. And why did he do that? Because they tried to stop the promise of God's redemptive plan. That's why. That's why. God's redemptive history, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so on, right through to the Saviour, that's the whole point. Satan wants to stop that redemptive history. And he never could. And he never, he never has. And that salvation is always open to you today. That grace, friends. I delivered you. Delivered them into your hands, says the Lord. I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out. We've been speaking about the hornet, haven't we? <laughs> We've been played a bit by the hornet recently, haven't we? <laughs> but you see, friends... The hornet here, by the Lord of hosts who enveloped those millions of hornets and sent them, as it were, before Israel. Imagine that. Imagine Israel thinking all these enemies, as it were, the Amorites, the, all these enemies, the Hittites, all these forces of hell being raised up against them on every side. And what did the Lord do? He enveloped. He enveloped the, the Lord of hosts, all of those hornets, millions upon millions, and sent them out before Israel. <laughs> and they went running, as it were, to the hills. And God does that in our lives. God has overcome all of our enemies, friends. Sin, death, this world, and he has satisfied the divine wrath of his Father. All our enemies have taken, are taken care of. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the mighty God, the Saviour God. Nothing is impossible with the Lord God. You know, sometimes in life, in all the pressures of life, we can forget that we have the God, the supernatural, mighty God on our side. We forget the supernatural because we're bombarded on every side, aren't we, by unbelief, as it were. And this world tries to drag us slowly back into unbelief. We have the supernatural God, the God of miracles, the God of divine grace on our side. Nothing is impossible with God. God is in control. God is sovereign over our lives. And let us, friends, never ever return to the beggarly arm of flesh that will always fail us. And yes, friends, we may, and people may have great sins, great sins, Many people, even people you know, and this was true of me, you can make a mess of your life completely. I did for over 20 years. But we have a greater saviour than that, don't we? We have a great saviour who is greater than our sins, than greater than all our faults and all our mistakes, who can overcome all those barriers, who can break down those walls of Jericho, as it were, and allow the gospel to come in, the new life as it were, the new beginning in life. That's such a wonderful thing, isn't it? When we've received that new life in Christ, that new beginning, all things begin anew, all things begin afresh. The Lord says at the end of verse 12, that the victory Israel had over all these great Amorite kings and their enemies was not owing 
to their doing. Not with the sword, with thy sword, and not with thy bow. This is not these things which you have. All these great victories. It wasn't of your own doing. There's nothing special about you in terms of your flesh. It is all because God has set His heart uh, upon you. You were the least of all the people, as it were, but God has made you into a great, conquering, victorious nation. The nation of Israel is an indestructible people. They will never, ever be destroyed. Ever be destroyed. God's people will never be destroyed. We'll always have the victory in this life and the next. God will always take care of his remnants. Always. Isaiah 45, 22 comes to mind. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. That's how to be saved, isn't it? Look outside of yourself to the promise that God made to Abraham. All the ends of the earth, as it were, to look to the God of Abraham, to the promise that God made, to look to him, to the cross, to Christ, to what he has done for us sinners, and be saved. If we look within ourselves, friends, there's no salvation there, isn't it? If we look for salvation in this world, there's no salvation there. We must look outside of ourselves to someone more powerful, someone that keeps his promises. We must look to Christ, to his righteousness. Look unto me and be ye saved. What works is there in a look? There's no works in a look, is there? Absolutely nothing. We look outside of ourselves and then God does that wonderful work of grace in our hearts, changes us, makes us into peculiar people. He gives us faith to trust in him, to trust in his promises. Verse 13 says, And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities for for which you built not, and you dwell in them, and vineyards and olive yards which you planted not. Do you eat all these things in the land of promise, the land that flowed with milk and honey. All these things God gave to Israel, they didn't deserve these things. They were just given. They didn't have to build the vineyards. They didn't have to build the, 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 all these things, these cities. They were all given to God, uh, all given to them. And surely this land of promise, this reminder here is true of us, isn't it? We have been given glory. We have been given that heavenly Canaan, that promise of glory. This is not our, this is not, friends, this is not our land. We're just passing through. Remember that. We have the pilgrim mindset. Have a light hand upon the things of this world. Remember, our, we, are, we are traveling to a city wherein dwelleth righteousness. We're going to that heavenly Canaan. We're going to a place where we will ever be with the Lamb of God. You think about that bountiful and fruitful country of Canaan. We think of the splendor of being in that country after all the traveling in the wilderness, all the afflictions, all the battles that Israel went through. And then finally they got to that land of promise. They had that huge uh, uh, grapes, the grapes and the bounty of that land. We're going there. We're going to the promised land. 
Sin won't spoil any more. No more arguments. No more fear. No more death. No more illness. That's where we're headed, friends. We will, we will be made. We'll be like him. We'll be made exactly like him. We'll be made, in, in a sense, perfect. We'll have perfect hearts to love him. What a day. When we... God comes again in judgment, friends. We won't have to fear again. We've got the righteousness of the Lord upon us. What a day that will be. We say, quick, Lord, come, come, come quickly. That's what we're looking forward to, that heavenly Canaan. Well, lastly, in verse 14, God's true people are given admonition in how to live their lives. Verse 14 says, now, therefore, fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. And in Egypt, and Egypt, and serve you the Lord. The Lord God drew Israel from many waters, didn't he? Think of the waters in the old world in the days of Noah. They were saved by the waters. We think of the, of the waters of, um, of Egypt, which he brought upon the enemy. We think of the waters, do we not, of Jordan, which uh, the Lord took them over, those flooding waters. He drew them from many, many waters. It's the same with us, isn't it? God has drawn us, like the psalmist says. He's drawn us through many waters. Let us fear and serve the Lord in gratitude, in love for all of his grace, for all of his mercy to, to us in sincerity and truth. Remember to live for the Lord dear friends, from your heart and your mind. Let, let not the, the things of this world again secretly, because it can happen, even as believers, they can secretly <laughs> creep in, as it were, into our hearts and our lives, as it were, to try to dethrone Christ. That can never happen. But make sure to worship him in sincerity and truth. He desires truth in the inward parts. And like I said before, if thing, when things start going wrong in a life, look no further than your own heart and your own mind. Look, look there first before anything else. Don't point the finger at other people. Don't point the finger. Don't be a critical person. Look, look at your heart. Look at your mind, as it were. Come before the Lord. There will be something there. If you dig deep enough, and we love him for that, daily remember all that the Lord has done for you. Daily Remember who you are, what he's done for you. Put on the, the helmet of salvation daily. Remember that you're his, you belong to him. You're his peculiar people. Love him from the heart and the mind daily, dear friends. Except the Lord build the house, they that build in vain. They build in vain that build it, don't they? Except the Lord keep the tower, they that watch, watch in vain, don't they? And this is true with us every day in our own private devotions, in our own homes, in this Christ's church, unless he build the house, dear friends, we labour in vain. Everything must be done before the Lord, with our heart and our mind before the Lord. Well, I hope, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are encouraged by the word today. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. 
That's grace to seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.com. Thank you.